Hello and welcome to Shape the System, where we find and tell the stories that help people to rethink the way the world works. We interview people from all over the world who are helping to change our systems for the better. Shape the System is an independent podcast with support from KPMG High Growth Ventures, who help ambitious founders and their teams scale up for success. More about KPMG High Growth Ventures after the interview. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Shape the System. We are working on a new format because we've been having conversations for three years with founders who are leading impact-led businesses focused on solving a problem, as everyone knows. But we're really keen to be engaging and talking to people who are part of the fabric of how these companies turn up and show up every day. And I'm incredibly excited today to talk to Jessica Marathi Radpavar, who has kind of unwittingly agreed to be part of uh, of this kind of the new format that we're that we're exploring today. So, firstly, thank you for helping us be a part of a test run. We're avoiding the word guinea pig, and thank you for coming onto the show. Maybe just introduce yourself a little bit, and then we're going to dive straight in. Yeah, thank you so much for the invitation, and I'm really happy to be experimenting and improvising <laughs> along with you. Hi, everybody. I'm uh, Jessica Marty Radprabar, as you've been introduced. I'm the founder and lead impact strategist at Reconsidered. We are a consultancy and content platform that aims to help impact leaders be drive change in, in a way that is more sustainable, more joyful, bolder. We really want to be the secret weapon for organizations and leaders who are kind of grappling with these challenging environmental and social issues that the the business community is facing. Wonderful. I usually am based in the Netherlands. I'm American uh, by background, but I uh, moved to the Netherlands about six years ago, but today dialing in from Southern California, where I'm doing a bit of a remote work winter. <laughs> the digital nomad <laughs> um, part of thing. The, yeah, yeah. And also kind of an, an effort to to work more cyclically, which I'm sure we'll we'll get into later in the conversation. Um, Absolutely. Creating systems that also mirror natural systems. Interesting. I, I definitely want to get into that. I wasn't ready for that rabbit hole, but we love rabbit holes here, so we'll definitely go into that. So I want to start a little bit with kind of the parallel of what we do in the other interviews is we start with the problem space. And we talked a little bit before about this coming into the show. And a lot of where you guys play, at least in one part of what Reconsider does, is around strategy and strategic thinking. And what I'm curious about initially to start off with is firstly, the types of businesses and founders that you work with predominantly in terms of not the industry they're in, but more what stage they're at and where they're coming from. So is this founders who have been in this kind of impact-led space for a while and are trying to you know, get better at whatever they're doing? Or is it a lot of what you're seeing is you've got people who are coming into the impact space, they want to set out to do something that's more purpose-led and they've kind of got a sense of what problem they want to solve, but they just don't know how to build an impact-led business and they're trying to work that framing out. So just talk a little bit about, firstly, the types of people you're working with, the type of space and, and stage that they're at, and then we'll dive in from there. Yeah, absolutely. There is a range, though, if I might try to categorize them. We do uh, quite a lot of work with uh, small to, to medium-sized enterprises. So not quite startups, but more kind of in the scale-up challenger brand realm. And oftentimes with those partners, they have kind of a deep desire to do the right thing. We often hear that sustainability is, or social impact is just kind of core to who we are. 
And maybe there might be different efforts that have been initiated, often um, opportunistic or kind of you know driven by a particularly passionate product manager or designer, but they haven't been really brought together and thought about within the context of what is this business? What is the opportunity that this business has to both mitigate its negative impact and amp up its positive impact? Right. And so we really like working with companies at those stages to first zoom out and kind of think, okay, let's take a, a high-level view on this and identify why we're here, what this company is here to do, what we're really well-positioned to do, and what our stakeholders care about, what our customers care about, what our customers care about, what our employees care about, etc. And so we facilitate these processes We very much like to take a more facilitative role in these conversations because we know that, you know, having a consultant kind of come in and like, you know, whip up a little strategy presentation and hand it over is dooming us all for success to huge waste of time and resources. And so we really uh, do our best to hold space for that process, to hold space for the difficult conversations that need to be had in order to get to a strategy that's actually meaningful. And then we help communicate that strategy. So, you know, there's loads of jargon and ever-increasing kind of acronym, um, and and not to mention the risk of greenwashing. And so we'll then work with our partners on, okay, what is the way that this strategy then shows up in the world and gets communicated across platforms? Got it. Just want to hold up there for a second, because one of the things that kind of I'm curious about when you take an existing organization that has been operating for a short time, or you know, it could be a few years, might be a couple of decades, but they've obviously hit some form of inflection point. Now that's coming from their customers or from people that they're hiring. I want to understand typically what is the kind of what's the driver of the inflection point? Someone working inside an organization says, I love working here, but I wish we were a little more impact led and kind of tries to bring that into the organization, or is it typically a founder or a CEO who who turns around one day and just says, I'm getting all this feedback from these people. Like, how does this show up in the first place? Yeah, yeah. What's the impetus? There's a range also there. Um, right now, I'd say there is a huge regulatory push, especially in Europe. So there's ever-increasing reports of different consumer authorities, particularly in Norway and the Netherlands and, and the UK, uh, where they're calling out companies who are communicating about sustainability but don't necessarily have the chops to back it up. Right. And so there is a bit this like reputational risk piece of it that's like, well, if we're already starting to talk about sustainability but we don't have our ducks in a row, okay, we need to get our stuff in order really quickly. Right. So I'd say that's a really big driver, especially with our European clients. And then, you know, it often also depends on the the industry that you're in. We do quite a lot with the fashion and textiles industry, quite a lot of brands, but also nonprofits in that ecosystem. And that's an industry where the social responsibility conversation is a bit more mature. It kind of dates back to the early 90s when there were these big sweatshop exposés and a lot of Fashion brands had to think about human rights and social compliance and getting their ducks in a row. And so now the conversation has been happening for almost 30 years and you have this more kind of mature, robust industry or robust thinking of 
sustainability as it relates to the industry, I should say. But in other industries, it's starting to come up. There's a bigger conversation around um, every industry's role in uh, mitigating, especially the climate crisis. And so you're starting to see also just this evolved understanding of each company's or each actor's role in creating change. And that's also contributing to the the groundswell of interest across different stakeholder groups. Yeah. And is, is a lot of that just, I mean, my guess is that when we think about kind of companies that are more impact led, then they're trying to work out, as you said, trying to reduce the impact that they have if they're negative and then dial up, I think with your exact term <laughs> word <laughs> relating to, to what it is. I mean, is are we talking predominantly around either environmental sustainability and social sustainability? Are there other lenses here that I'm missing or are they really the two main buckets? Well, environmental, social and governance are kind of the the pillars of ESG, which is becoming kind of a way of speaking about these types of strategies. ESG, though, is a little bit more of an investor-driven uh, lens. Right. It's more about how companies are considering their impacts as it relates to also their financial sustainability in the long term. And so, you know, those those would be the pillars that you think about within within a strategy, the governance side being uh, kind of these bigger questions around how the company is run, kind of looking at uh, some more ethical issues, thinking about transparency. So it's a bit, you know, still you would look at environmental and social as being where you the biggest programmatic areas, but right. that's all kind of tied together by how the whole organization is governed. Right. So different topics might fall under there. Yeah. You might an example maybe that your choice to be a B corporation would be an element of how are we running the company and how are we understanding our obligation or understanding our impact or where we want to get to from A to B. And and that I'm guessing when you are engaging with, you know, a company that might have been around for 10 years that says, hey, we're in the textile space and we currently use a whole bunch of chemicals, then you're, and our staff are paid minimum wage, then you're showing up saying, well, how do you want to treat your people and how do you want your impact to look like and how will you measure and report all this stuff for the stakeholders who you care about, it, whether that's your customers or employees or, or the like? Is that kind of where you, you, you dive in and where you play? Yeah. Yeah, yep. exactly. So holding, creating a space and, and facilitating a process that allows for those decisions to be made. Yeah. And then of course, because reported, transparency and reporting is such a big piece of this, also determining what those KPIs are, what the, you know, the cadence of providing update stakeholders is, yep. Um, yep. all of that. Yep. And I, like I'm, <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a few questions here. Please. But, but <laughs> I, I guess one of the ones that I'm thinking about right up front, and you, you sort of touched on this when you mentioned fashion, and I, I've kind of been skeptical of fashion as an industry. And I know that sounds like a really blunt, broad thing to say, but I've, have, I've changed my view because what I've realized is that everyone, we're exhibit A and exhibit B, wears clothes every day. So fashion as a tool and as an industry is kind of touches everyone. So I'm like, okay, I didn't connect those dots before. So I'm, I'm interested in this idea that fashion has a massive opportunity to be, to lead around anything to do with ESG. But my observation now that I'm getting a lot deeper into fashion, having more conversations about it from some stuff unrelated to my normal job and my, my and the show, is that there it is, seems to be both leading, but also a massive contender for obfuscation and I think greenwashing would be the term in the sustainable context. 
just wanting to dive down into that rabbit hole for a second, because if I think about companies that you're starting to talk to, some of them might be, we have no idea what we're doing. And others might be, we think we're doing a great job. And you're like, actually, no, you're not. How is that looking, especially with respect to the fashion industry, just because I'm interested in that? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And the fashion industry is profoundly complex. It's the industry I've spent the most time in, in thinking about sustainability and fashion. And I certainly have my moments of being really excited and energized by the opportunity of the fashion industry as an arbiter of culture and social norms to be at the forefront of change, not just with its own impacts, but in the way in which it influences impacts kind of more broadly. Right. And being just so dejected by, you know, at the end of the the reality that at the end of the day, the fashion industry is still producing stuff and the survival of the fashion industry relies on selling stuff. And of course, there's new models that are coming up around resale and circularity. You know, there's a more of a conversation happening now around companies' responsibility, fashion brands' responsibility from a marketing perspective, not to just promote selling more stuff. But I don't know that any company has really figured out how to do that successfully at scale and still, especially if they're on the public markets, yeah, uh, Yeah. meet the, the financial expectations of shareholders. Yeah. So it's a really, really tricky one. But, you know, I, I try generally to lead with optimism. And I think <laughs> I get really excited about industries like fashion, like entertainment, like these highly visible industries right. that whole world's kind of looking at and, and where there's, you know, such this, particularly with fashion, you know, you some people say like you are what you wear or what you wear is your external embodiment of your mm-hmm. values. And I always got really excited by this idea that if you could convince people to pay more attention to that connection and, you know, dress in a way that is representative of what they believe, for, especially from an impact perspective, wow, how powerful could that be? So um, yeah. I, I still get excited about that, but, you know, high, <laughs> highs and lows. <laughs> and I, um, this might be a challenging question, but I mean, there's a, I, I think it's, I can't remember the name of the cartoon. I, I, I didn't come up with this, but there's this running idea or joke that the, the word consult is made up of the words con and insult. Yep. You know, you kind of have to go in there. And if you, I don't know if you, I can't remember what it's from, but what's the one with the guy walking around with the briefcase? Dilbert? I think it Dilbert? might be from Dilbert. Yeah, maybe. yeah, I think it's from that. But the point he's making is that as a consultant, you have to go in, you have to convince people to get them, you to come into the organization and you have to tell them what's wrong with the organization. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is that no one wants a consultant to come in and go, yeah, you guys are doing great, right? But you have to go into an organization and say, you need to rethink what you're doing here. You don't understand the zeitgeist or the status quo is wrong or your understanding and benchmarking of where you are today isn't aligned. You're out of sync with where customers' expectations are or shareholders or the market or whatever. And I'm trying, and this doesn't necessarily mean in the context of fashion, but could be, how does that play out for you when you have to go into an organization and have a tough conversation? Well, yeah, really tricky. Certainly, I view one of my biggest challenges and one of also the biggest opportunities for consultants is that you are invited in specifically to give an outsider's point of view. And so I feel like earlier in my career, I would always shy away from confrontation or from truth-telling 
you know, I didn't necessarily feel empowered to do so. But I think I take the responsibility that I have when I'm invited into these rooms or invited to these tables to tell the truth and to to make the most of that invitation. Um, I recognize also that I have access that not a lot of people have when I'm in those spaces. And so, you know, when I think about the change I'm trying to drive as an individual and how working in consultancy contributes to that, I think the only way that I can feel good about the work that I do is if I am operating with integrity and, you know, taking those risks and saying yeah. those bold things when they need to be said. Not easy. That no, requires no, like, a lot of up. personal work. <laughs> <laughs> I work with an amazing coach. I, you know, I'm part of a gazillion masterminds, you know, like I have groups of friends who are all in similar spaces and we kind of like WhatsApp all the time about, you know, like urging Shit. each other on. To... The downs and... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't come naturally for, for me. No, Definitely I I... not. Yeah. But it's, it's, I take the responsibility seriously. Yeah. To the second point about kind of like, almost like part of being a consultant is also securing that you like continue to have work. Sure. I don't know. I probably means I'm not the best businesswoman, but, um, really believe that a lot of this work has to be driven by people working within the companies. Sure. The consultant only has so much, I guess, influence or so much ability to drive change before the baton has to be passed to the people who are actually doing the work. Yeah. So that's an approach that that we take is that we really just try to be our clients' secret weapons. Yeah. But like equip them, arm them, like nudge them to drive these conversations because they're just going to be way more effective if they're driven from internally than externally. Yeah. And it was kind opinion. of going to be my follow-up question to this, which was, you know, you, we led and we spoke about this before coming on the show it's not enough to go in and kind of land a strategy. And even if the strategy is 100% right, it's how, to, how does an organization move to execute the strategy? So when you're working in a, in a hands-on capacity, and we'll talk a little bit more about kind of a broader capacity that may not be as hands-on as what we're talking about now, part of it is here's what we need to do as an organization, or here's what you need to do, but, but we in the current context. And then the other is here's how you start to plot a course and do that. How is that part of what you guys do how does that how's that executed you talked before about facilitation like just map that out a little bit for me yeah how do you help them with change management i guess is the question yeah so i guess we you know whenever we facilitate these types of of dialogues will usually be a couple of phases so the first will be our discovery phase where we get into a bit of competitive research we have interviews with stakeholders. We do our desk research to really get to know uh, the brand. We, we kind of, yeah, make sure that we have a solid understanding of the brand and business and landscape before we dive into the actual strategy setting. And I'd say that during those conversations, we're always asking, okay, who should be in the room right now? Mm. You know, who should we invite along on the journey? We may have gotten called in by the sustainability team, but is this a uh, situation that warrants a larger group of people to be involved so that they can then also feel ownership in what's ultimately being created? So we try to, yeah, from the get-go, just make sure that the right people are in those conversations. And then we also think a lot about 
I guess uh, maybe this is a, a bit too inside baseball, but I think it will hopefully be useful for for people working here where we want to plant seeds throughout the process of, of these these conversations. And uh, we'll usually have our point of view or you have strong recommendations that if asked, we're happy to provide. But also it could be very powerful for the people who are a part of these processes to come up with the ideas and come up with the solutions on their own. So often we, that's why I kind of say I like to take the facilitator seat. It, we're ideally setting up these conversations where... Um, Ideas can be surfaced and insights can be drawn from the people in the room so that, but not that we're kind of saying like, based on this, then you should do X, Y, and Z. We first want to open it up before we then almost like synthesize those recommendations, add to them, and then send them back. And I think that's a big part of the change management piece is just like making sure that from the get-go, it's an integrated process that's not just siloed within one person or one team yeah, yeah. Um, that people are brought along for the journey that there's like a process facilitated that allows for people to feel ownership of what they should be owning mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> and and yeah that it's generally a very collaborative process yeah i just uh, the reason why i'm smiling is that i think i mean in my context a lot of the time or previously has been kind of product management and ux and when you are excited about where this company, or in this case a product, but in your context, the company could go, then you start to bring your own ideas to the table. And that feels productive, but I think in a lot of cases it's counterproductive because they're your ideas and you you kind of need to let them come up with those ideas so they have ownership for those ideas and then want to take them and implement them into the organization. And so facilitation is such an act of having to sit on your hands <laughs> and kind of let the process unfold and let and, and kind of nudge it in the right direction. I think Probably the second thing that I'm kind of reminded of in in talking about this is uh, my observation is that most people can't write from a blank sheet of paper, but are incredibly good if you kind of give them a an outline that probably they've come out with and allow them to adjust the outline and then to think of it as their own piece of work. And so my guess is that when you go into that room, either on the strategy piece, but even on the kind of change facilitation piece, what you're doing is giving them kind of a scaffolding to work through so they don't have to just go into the room and go, well, how do we get from A to B? No, here's a, here's a mechanism or an approach. You guys need to now fill in the blanks and we'll kind of stand back and let you do that. Is that kind of how that plays out? That's an excellent insight. Yeah. And for sure, I think it's much easier to be in the editor's seat than in the writer's seat. Totally. <laughs> um, and to have something to react to, which is why we also like in that first that first phase of any project, the discovery phase, to always be surfacing examples and ideas and quotes and, you know, making the output from that process really dynamic so that there's something to react to, something to spark conversations, to kind of like the next steps in. This is that planting stage you just referred to in a summer phase. The discovery phase, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. That's super interesting. And then I kind of want to open it up from here because I think what I've observed in this type of context, I think consulting is probably a good example, but I've seen other examples of this as well in mindfulness training. A friend of mine runs a really successful mindfulness training business, but it's all in person. And he, for years, we've been talking about how do we take this to a broader audience? And in, before we jumped onto the show, we talked a little bit about this. You're, you have only a certain number of hours in the day to be in there facilitating things and working with the team. And that's limiting your ability to have an impact on the people who are trying to have an impact. 
So my understanding is that you've kind of evolved your model from being just an in-person model to a kind of platform content-led model. I want to talk a little bit about that um, today as well. Tell me more about that. Yeah, I'd love to share more. I get really, really excited about this, uh, this evolution of Reconsidered. So um, we have a quite strong and, um, and really exciting consultancy practice. But we also, in recent years, have expanded to also provide, really provide resources and add value to the community of impact practitioners. Um, so we see, particularly within that somewhat broad um, category, we particularly see internal change agents, so CSR managers, you know, uh, philanthropic leads, CEI leads. We really see people working within organizations to drive sustainability change as our kind of our people, our core group. And so just started um, our Reconsidered Impact Academy which is kind of our, our training ground where we'll be offering various cohort-based and on-demand courses uh, to support this community. And our first is called the Sustainability Change Agent Accelerator. It's our um, signature program. We launched it last fall. And this is a program, we kind of bill it like an MBA meets a mastermind. Sure. Um, so it's an eight-week course that covers the fundamentals of change management. So kind of those MBA-type skills but also brings in some of the more personal and spiritual dimensions of what it means to be a, a powerful change agent. Because so often there's this personal and professional mashup that, that shows up <laughs> for people in this space. And I'm so excited about this because like you said, the, the consultancy approach is time bound. It's limited in that way. And so you know, my hope is that by starting to create courses and content and programming for the the impact community in a way that's a little bit more scalable, you know, we'll then be able to grow in a way that's not kind of limited by by me, the lead social impact strategist and and my time. Yeah. And location. <laughs> and yeah, and and look and not even to mention location and I recently became a parent as well. So I have a two and a half year old. And I'd say the start of this evolution actually began when I became pregnant and right. had to face the very real prospect that like, okay, pretty soon, not only am I like wondering what maternity leave looks like, but pretty soon my time is not going to be mine anymore. Sure, like, sure. <laughs> there's going to be so many variables and like, how is this business going to survive that. Yeah. Yeah. It really came a bit out of necessity, but um, I'm really happy with the direction that we're going. Yeah. And I just, uh, there's some particulars here because the timing of this coming out initially will be just prior to the cutoff for the actual program itself. And yeah. so the mechanics here, it's a 12 week program. I just understand that right. Oh, eight week, eight program. week program. Sorry. Uh, and your the people who are you, the mention, there was a lot of acronyms and three-letter acronyms. So DEI, ESG, all of those ones. I th hopefully people Sorry, know what impact. those things are. But basically, you had a you had a term for it. I just wanted to, you called it impact practitioner. Was that the word you used? Yeah. Impact practitioner. Yeah. It, it sounded to me though as well, though, if someone was building an impact-led business or wanted to move their business to be more impact-led, that this program would, they would also fit that typecast. Is that right? Or is it more inside yeah. an organization, someone as an employee? Like who's the likely person and then how might they even engage or why would it be for them? I guess that's, I'm curious about that specifically. 
Yeah, great question. So it's a little bit more focused on people who are driving change within an organization. So where they're needing to kind of battle politics, persuade people to get on board, uh, build coalitions. There's all of these kinds of, you know, when you're this intrapreneur within a company, there's all of these kinds of skills and tactics that you need to, to be employing in order to transform the organization. So it's a little bit more focused for people in this role. I guess I'm assuming that if you're the founder or the CEO, you're kind of the stakeholder that needs to, (laughs) not that you don't have to convince anybody, but you know, you have a lot more agency than than others do. Other than regulators, stakeholders, shareholders, boards. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of maybe a different set of, of change management. Yeah. of, Of tactics, but but yeah, so it's a little bit more kind of like this this person who's working from within the system to change it. Yeah, and is it geographically bound or like no, no, doesn't matter. No, we've um, you know we've uh, timed it so that it generally works better for European and U.S. time zones. Oh. But that's not to say that if you're in anyway. kind of more the Pacific region and um, you're looking to you know you don't mind a few late nights that you can join as well. Yeah, I mean that sounds fine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. I think there's, um, I mean, the world in the last three years kind of, I wouldn't say the whole world changed, but we've certainly seen a, a shift towards the opportunity to engage with things further afield. And I think the response from people has been, hey, this is totally feasible. I'm, I mean, I'm working on a fashion side project and the designer I've met once at a pub in Berlin. But other than that, we've de- designed and, and they're about to fabricate a physical product and we've We've done it completely remotely. Now, if you can build a physical product with a brand and everything completely remotely, why wouldn't you be able to upskill or, or, I don't know what the right word is, but engage with this kind of course and material to be a far more strong practitioner in, in change inside of an organization? Why wouldn't that be possible? So that that's super exciting. And then just kind of the last, on the practicalities of actually applying, like what is it that you're, when someone applies for it, like what are they putting up and what are you looking for that? makes it the right fit for someone to actually go through the program? Good clarifier. So we don't have like a rigorous application process. We're, we're kind of open. If you think that you're going to find value in the program and you, you know, generally work in the impact space or kind of are able to make a case for how this is relevant in your role, we're generally okay with you you being in. Mm. But we're, we are very clear. And, and that's both like kind of in our, you know, landing page and our FAQs, as well as when we talk to people that this won't be for everyone. Yeah. And that if, for example, someone is looking to transition into this ESG or CSR space and, you know, looking for the right like qualification, like we're not sure we're that you know we're really designed for working practitioners so yeah we try to be, kind of be clear about who we are but we're also open if, if someone feels very strongly that these are the skills that they need to take the next step in their career and in their personal impact and professional impact that that they're also welcome amazing awesome well i'm glad we've managed to get through all it today i um i'm really excited for this new format because i think there's a lot that we can uncover with it and so I'm, I'm really thankful for you to try to take the time to allow us to explore a new format. And I'm really excited to hear how your first official cohort goes. I know there was a test run last year, last fall, whatever that is, autumn, I think. Yep. Um, <laughs> but Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing with us and, and really good luck with the first cohort and, and look to hear more about it later on. 
Yeah, so nice to hear to explore these ideas with you. I think we're both you use the word rethink, I use the word reconsider. We're both kind of committed to looking at the our ways of working in the world and probing them and poking them and yep. you know second guessing them but for good, the intent to change them and and so it's really nice to be in conversation with someone who's so yeah, committed to that as well. Excellent. Have a nice day. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Shape the System. As usual, if you'd like to suggest a guest, someone that you know who's helped change a system for the better, please go to www.shapethesystem.org, click on the top right-hand corner, then click Suggest Guest. Make sure that you click Subscribe so that you get the new episode. Shape the System is an independent podcast with support from KPMG High Growth Ventures. Connects founders to the services they need along their journey. Whether you are looking to refine your strategy, mature your finance function, prepare for a capital raise, expand abroad, or simply comply with regulatory requirements, they provide you with the support you need to drive your business forward. 